Today I'm chatting with Karen Tock. Karen is a speaker, a thought leader, and founder of award-winning biotechnology recruitment firm Scientech Consulting, a company she established with seed capital of ten thousand Singapore dollars before building the business and selling it for ten million some twelve years later. We talk about Karen's journey growing a business and some of the challenges she faced navigating the 2009 financial crisis, and we talk mindset and what it takes to have the right kind of thinking in times of adversity. Here's my conversation with Karen Tock. Hey, good morning, Karen. Welcome to the Task Podcast. How are you doing? Morning, Matt. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. It's um, yeah, it's good to chat again. We caught up originally a few weeks ago, so nice to to get you on the podcast. So you're in you're in uh, sunny Singapore today, yeah? Yes, we are. I'm here. It's hot out there. I can see from my window. Yeah, well, it's. I'm in the north of Thailand. It's actually getting kind of cold here which is nice so uh, I do remember when I lived in Singapore the the seasons kind of didn't change too much it was always always generally hot so and how's life there is it getting back to some sort of normality from speaking to friends and colleagues it sounds like you know things are kind of kind of a little bit normal than they were a few months ago anyway Definitely. We, we have very low to no cases, so, um, but we still can't gather um, for more than five. So we're looking forward to the next, which is phase three, that we could gather like eight for social, but business are back. Most of the offices are back with some kind of um, control, but it's uh, pretty much back to normal, except for certain industry like the bars and uh, uh, mines industry. It's still kind of affected. Yeah, right. No, well, hopefully, yeah, it's not going to be the most normal Christmas, but um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we're getting there. So look, I was really, you know, your, your story is in, in inspiring and, um, you know, in terms of, you know, where you, where you came from, how you grew a, you know, a business from kind of 10K to, to 10 million and, um, you know, the things you went through with that. Um, I will have done a little intro at the beginning of the the podcast, but, but only very brief. It'd be great just to give a bit more background about, yeah, you know, your, your kind of journey as, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, where you came from and, um, you know, how it all started in Singapore. So just to give a bit more background for our audience would be great. Sure. Yes. So I did, I did have a pretty unconventional path in terms of how I started off with my education and actually uh, it is how it, it, it served, it became a foundation of how I, um, started my business. So I'll give you a background about my um, my childhood education. Uh, so I was actually born into a converted chicken coop, literally, that um, there were no more chickens. <laughs> so we were very poor. Life was really tough for my parents. They had to move from house to house in the village, renting rooms from mean landlords till I was about three years old. Look, um, I had never gone hungry, but life was difficult. And where things became really tough was my opportunities were stolen from me after I failed primary three and four. I was denied secondary education at age nine. I wasn't like smart. I wasn't good enough, or that's how I felt. Um, I was always at the bottom of my class and often felt totally ashamed and disgraced to my parents and uh, the failed stem across every page of my report card um, 
uh, it's, it's always something that I felt embarrassed about. And, uh, and, and yeah, I was one of those kids that parents would tell their kids not to hang out. So fear of failing in school and at life haunted me every single day. So after um, about eight years of primary education, I was pushed to one path. I was then entered vocational school to pick up a skill. Uh, like welding, electrical wiring, changing car tires, which I was interested. I was interesting for a while, but I did not have real long-term interest. So, um, and this was the system then in in the old Singapore system where if you are not um, academically inclined, you then um, you know can't sit for your PSLE, which is a primary school leaving exam to go to. Um, secondary to do your O level, then uh, the natural path would for you to go to a vocational school to learn a skill so you could make a living. So that was the path that was set for me. And, and so I did it. Yeah, after two years, I had no interest. So um, and a friend told me uh, a, a Christian school where I could go and have uh, and, and give a, a chance for at secondary school. So there I was at a very ripe old age of 17, I started at secondary one. So that was my turning point, really. So in, in Sanyo Adventist School, uh, the where I started my secondary, I learned how to learn in a way I learned best. And because the teachers were nurturing and compassionate, they didn't define us by our end score. Yep. And they didn't just teach us basic education. They taught us how to be a better human being. And I discover something about myself. I discover that I love learning and I had an ironclad determination to prove the system wrong. So when, uh, when, when they took away my portion to, to even sit for PSLE primary school living exams at age nine, it was two years before the actual exam. So I had no chance. So I was very determined to get my own level to prove the government wrong. And um, that I wasn't a hopeless kid with no future. I refused to be defined by an exam score. So finally, four years later, I achieved my six O levels and it's six O levels. Yes, I, I know I was four years behind everyone else. And then I enrolled myself into um, a four years business degree at uh, Southeast Asia Union College, it's no longer here. And at, that is my next turning point because learning became a pleasure, even though I was still not good at scoring an exam. In fact, I had, I had a, uh, an epiphany, uh, aha moment that education for living and not education for making a living. So the good thing about being a failure early in life means that I was starting at the lowest point. It could only get better. So, so interesting, just to point that, because, I, it, you know, the, what you talk about then, I think, is you were obviously very fortunate to find a school that was able to hone the, the right skills in you, as in make you not look at the score, but make you look at the the love of learning, you know, rather than just look at the end result. Um, and also then enable you to go back and, hey, not look at failing, but look at failing as an opportunity to go forward, you know. Sounds like it was, you know, very fortunate to 
to end up with that kind of school because I know I left school at 16 um, had the same kind of experiences and you know the education system in the UK I think is uh, the pressures in the UK back then are not nowhere near what they are in Singapore having lived in Singapore for 10 years I mean the yeah the pressures to come out with a good result in Singapore back then I think would have been huge so very fortunate that you found that that, yes. that school to nurture that Yes, and in fact, it was the secondary school, but it was still running on a, you know, Singapore system in a sense, but it, it was the teacher uh, being very nurturing. But when I went to my college, because it was American system, and, and that's where I discover um, the joy of learning. So, mm -hmm. uh, so one is having nurturing teacher, even though the system was still the same, it encouraged me to, to, um, to do to trust to have trust in me and just take a slower step and you know to pick up to to kind of just learn how i learn best and to just try to score um but when i go into american system the whole scoring system was very different and that's where i realized oh my god i really love learning because I, I have no more fear about you know failing in my exams so that that was the true turning point for my education and in fact, um, that really became my, my true north about just learning anything. It doesn't matter what I don't know. It's all about how I'm going to learn and what I'm going to learn and how I'm going to apply the learning um, to become successful in anything I do. So the sky is not even a limit. <laughs> Did you kind of use that philosophy um, that you that with, through your kind of journey of building up a a business from from something very small to something very large was it always about learning what, what what were the kind of yeah the the mindset around that and the processes the challenges i know there's a lot in there to unpack but i really want to talk about that journey of building up a big company and yeah how that the learning inside there or you know how you approach the, the challenges with with that which is obviously different to kind of learning inside a an education institute yes um well, it has a big impact. And so it, it was a new mindset. So when I chose to start my biotech recruitment business, obviously I didn't have a degree. So I didn't finish my four years degree. I did two years and I left. This time, not because I was kicked out, but because I, I, I realized that it's just, you know, it's, it's about, um, it's about, enjoying the learning. So I didn't really feel the need for that paper qualification. But more importantly, I, I had started a, a kind of a part-time job during my school and I fell in love with it and decided that oh, I'm going to put school aside and just do what I love now. And then maybe we'll come back and finish my degree. So when I started my biotech business, I had no degree, no biotech background and not much cash. Um, and so by then I had already had maybe like five jobs before that. And I was, um, and every job I was um, doing a different business. I was in sale, but I was selling very different uh, product on our services and also in very different industries. So every time I had to pick up new skills, uh, new knowledge about the product and new industry and new client base. So, and despite that, I was successful in every single one of them. And that kind of gave me the confidence. So, so it's the same mindset, ability to go into something uh, 
where I didn't think my past was a problem, where I didn't need to have a knowledge. I just have to learn what I don't know and then um, apply it to whatever that is needed. Um, so that's how I picked biotech business because it was a sunrise industry. Uh, my, my criteria for uh, business selection was number one, it has to be um, a sunrise industry so that I don't have to build for 10 years and realize, oh, this sector is just going down, right? And the other one is it has to have a contribution to people. Uh, it has to add value. Um, and then the, the third would be it has to be scalable. So then from there, from that as a foundation, then I chose what could be the sunrise. So and at that time, the government were saying, uh, okay, for the next 10 years, we're going to depend on this four industry. So one of them is, um, I think it's uh, education. One is high-tech manufacturing. Um, and then we have the biotech pharmaceutical as one of the uh, sector they pick. And I think there's medical tourism. So of all, I just have to pick one that looks, you know, like interesting. So I just selected biotech. And then from biotech, then I narrowed down to what can I do in biotech? I really didn't have much money. I, I couldn't do an R&D funded for um, and uh, 10 years and then hoping to, to, to make money. So I then think about the supporting industry needed for biotech. And then so I narrowed down to recruitment. And also, you know, you, you help your clients to find talent and you help the talent to land on the perfect job that they, they've been looking for. So it has a lot of value. And then in the process, you learned about um, the strengths and weaknesses of the individual and you gave the tips and support how, how they can score well in the exam. And I, it's very, very rewarding. So that's how I, you know, with, with no experience, selected this industry, knowing that I would be able to do well because I know how to learn and I know how to apply my learning. And you went through, I mean, what was that, a 12-year journey with that business from kind of start to, to, to sale at the end? Yeah, so I started one women startup to 40 size, um, 40 employee size. And then we, uh, that it's about 16, 14, 12, 12 years. And then I saw, and then I was tied into the business for another, uh, sorry, 14 years and then tying for two years. So it's about 16 okay. years in total. So then we, we had built it to uh, 40 employee size and we won about 20 industry awards. Um, yeah, so that is but the outcome. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I, I ask because I, I just want to make sure you must have gone through. And when I look at this year, it's interesting, I think, for other business people running, growing businesses. You would have gone through some real highs and I imagine some real lows and challenges right over that time. Because so you would have gone through recession. You would have gone. Did you cross the I haven't got the dates. Did you cross like the the financial crisis? Was was that did you yeah. go through that or was it after that? So you had to deal with that. So we started in 2001, so it was just during the crisis. Um, so, and it was also after I was retrenched twice because of the dot-com bubble burst. And, and I was already chasing the new wave uh, when I was working for someone. So I wanted to be in the dot-com. So I found my way into the dot-com um, and into, we were doing software and um, mobile advertising. So the company, Two of my, the, the company that I worked for folded 
And that's where I decided that it's time. And I was already looking for a business for like two years. Um, so that dot-com crash was where it started. And you could call it a mistake because no one was hiring and there were plenty of talent on the street. Um, so it was challenging, very challenging. Um, so that was my first financial crisis. The second one was 08 during the A Asia, um, the Lehman Brothers crisis, right? So, so that was another financial crisis. Um, yeah, so we went through two crises. So what going through those kind of situations, and I ask because I think it's interesting for other people to hear how people, you know, in, in leading businesses like that, that are growing, that are successful. And, you know, what, I mean, you know, how did you deal with those types of challenges? And, or did, was it just a case of downscaling for a little bit, being, being frugal, being clever? I mean, you know, what, what was it like going through those sorts of situations as a, as the head of a business that's growing? Uh, so the first one when we first started because we just started so we we're just really looking for our first few clients um so the 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 strategy wasn't about how to downsize because there was nothing but it was how to i get the biggest clients like i was aiming for the uh the leading customers so that they could be my um my you know my 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 example of my client profile so that other clients would then be more willing to work with us, right? So I was aiming for that as one strategy. So therefore my first few clients were Wyeth, Bayer, um, Bayer and a few others. But, but I first started wanting to do biotech. So it took me about three months to realize that not all biotech uh, were willing to pay uh, recruitment fee because they were like just starting out. Um, and then there were not many. And on top of it, uh, there were no candidates. So that was a big challenge. So, so within the first three months to six months, I shifted to a little bit doing pharmaceutical related. So then I did very well for about a year uh, with this new set of new uh, big clients. And I think I remember we did so well for Wyeth at one stage. They were, they called me in and say, um, hey, it's time we discuss this cost discount because you are one of our largest supplier for our recruitment service and that was I was very surprised and of course they didn't know I was a one-woman show so and um, that gave me confidence and then after building this whole uh, pharmaceutical industry for two years and then I felt it was ready for biotech so then we then I move into biotech and start pitching for scientists head of research and this kind of role and um, then I had to kind of turn away some of the junior role in the pharmaceutical because headhunting take a long time and we were taking on mostly retained search. And we had, I had to develop new methods of sourcing for candidate because at that time, uh, social media or uh, advertising for candidate is not common for headhunting. The, the, the way headhunting go about is, you know, you have to know the people and you pull in the, the talent based on who you know and who could introduce you um, the right talent. But then we were doing global search because there were the right talents were non-existent in Singapore. Um, so I had to de develop a new search methodology, totally uh, not, I, I, I couldn't learn from anybody. 
and that became the winning formula. So we place uh, global, we source for global talent and we do regional placement. So that went on for five, six years. And then as the company expanded, I took on more contingency roles. So we went from uh, contingency to retain and then to contingency and retain. Contingency refers to non-upfront payment. Retains in our industry re refers to you pay it upfront before we start the search. So then later on, um, I needed to take on a larger market. So we move outside of pharma and biotech to technology telco. At one stage, we had a lot of Israeli telco companies were working with me. Um, and then, then we went into retail when we started to build um, the junior level and also uh, pharma manufacturing uh, for the contract worker. So we started to have contract business. So, so it, it's very interesting that our business went from retain uh, search to very junior blue collar uh, and like retail shop uh, assistant kind of level. Uh, and every process is very different for each verticals of our business. And this was possible because I, I had to build from a plain sheet of paper and just figure out what is the solution needed for each vertical? What is a client struggling? What is it? How can we do it to make it better? So we even went to uh, RPO, which is uh, recruitment process outsourcing, where we took the entire project and we just placed people without much um, uh, support from our clients. Yeah. Cool. I mean, it sounds... Yeah, a lot of it, a lot of what you're just um, communicating there is is still about learning, right? I mean, just constantly yeah. adapt, adapting, learning, you know, in, in times of, of challenging times and just kind of re, reworking what you're doing to make sure you're ahead of the game by yeah, the sound the, of it. So. Yeah, the problem with depending on your own knowledge is that you end up, you know, in a new situation, like even right now, we, we, we are faced with everything new, um, you know, how do you go online? And you're not the only one thinking about going online. The rest of the world has gone online uh, and some industry is no longer needed and will never come back. Um, and also we are we have, we're moving into industry 4.0 with technology and AI fighting the same space. So it's a very new world. So if we use old technology, old knowledge to apply into a world that is so different, it's going to be very hard to to, to find a way to um, perform better than others or survive, right? So that's why in my second um, uh, uh, second time we faced the down uh, the economic crisis, we we were we were not downsizing, but we were expanding into other industry um, as well, and that's why we also took out some junior level stuff. So so. Yeah, so it's really not depend on your own knowledge. It's always learning something new, looking at every situation as a new perspective. How would you tackle it? Cool. I want to change tone slightly and just ask you about something that's probably closer to your heart, I think, in terms of what you do right now. And, you know, I know you're, when we spoke before, you're doing a bit of training. You work with the Asia Institute for Mentorship, if I get that name right. Yes, Asia um, Mentoring. Mentoring. Um, I wanted to ask about mindset. It's something you talk about on your website. It's obviously something you've been aware of with everything you've done since coming out of education into business. You know what? What it? Can, can you talk to me a bit about 
you know, how important is mindset, you know, when it, when it comes to everyday life, when it comes to running business, when it comes to everything, this kind of area of mindset, what does it mean? Maybe we can just unpack some of that stuff and talk about it. Cause I know it's, it's something that, that you're focused on as a, as a mentor, um, an entrepreneur. Yes. Um, mindset is everything. You know, there's the quote that says, whatever your mind can conceive, your body can achieve, right? So one important mindset I think uh, I like to highlight is desperation and inspiration. So I believe that all decisions and actions we take are created from either of these two sources. So desperation, which is fear-based, and then inspiration, which is love-based. So we always dance between the two when making decisions throughout our day. So um, example, desperation is if, if, if your need for success uh, or, to, or to complete a task is driven from desperation or fear, then you will experience a fear of failure. So, so fear is in fear of failure, fear of looking bad, not being good enough or not being loved or accepted. Then it can lead to self-destruction or even depression. It increases self-doubt, uh, it kind of lowers self-confidence and it makes you an impossible, impossible person to work with. So you are in a paradigm of the in order to because your basic survivor is constantly threatened. However, if you can be in the space of inspiration for any, everything you do, um, uh, and from that space, you, you drive for success. And this is from the source uh, of inspiration, from the love for excellent, uh, excellence and doing what is possible in your vision. It will give you great source of power and that you are inspired to create, not because you need to. Mm. So, um, and it won't hurt as much if you fail to reach your desired outcome because your life doesn't depend on it, right? So it doesn't threaten your survival on the other hand. And you are more likely to forgive others' mistakes and be more patient and effective in recruiting others to your vision. So I, I think that uh, it, it's sometimes very hard to tell whether we are running a project, let's say we do a startup, or uh, even if I'm doing a training, um, sometimes I feel this fear, oh, what if I'm not doing good enough for the students and they don't get it? Um, or when I'm mentoring, then that will put me in those negative uh, feelings and mindset that I mentioned earlier. But if I come from the source of inspiration, which is, you know, can you imagine what possibility would be if I pass this message out, if I'm able to identify the right area to fix for them, imagine the possibility, right? So, so coming from this possibility and coming from the inspiration rather than the fear base. So that, that will really shift. So, and it's sometimes very hard to tell. So I think the good news is that if we develop strong self-awareness and we, are, we can always catch ourselves when we are in that, you know, drive from 
uh, desperation or drive from inspiration. Um, and then uh, we, we can just let go of this feeling if there is anger, fearful, or where, uh, yeah. So just going deep and identify where this drive is coming from. And if there's a fear, go deeper and find out where is this fear coming from that caused you to be to have desperation when you're trying to drive your results and then let it go. So, so that's a mindset, right? So that's playing with your mindset also. So being able to control your mindset. Awesome. Makes sense. I mean, yeah, really interesting inspiration versus desperation. Um, and this next, I think it's a good segue for, you know, coming into kind of closing questions and it, it probably links to it really, which is, you know, what, what advice would you give to people um, either, you know, running businesses, starting businesses in 2020 in a year like we've had this year? It's obviously not been the most normal year and you're someone that's been through, you know, ups and downs of, of growing and, and running a, a successful business. Yeah, what, what kind of advice would you give to, to people out there who are either, you know, running a startup or starting a business because they found themselves out of work this year? What, what, what kind of advice would you give to those people in a year uh, like this? I think the year 2001 is a year to aim for survival for some, but for some others, it is a year of new opportunity and innovation. So I would suggest first to create two versions of your financial focus, the optimistic and uh, sorry, sorry, the pessimistic and the realistic two versions so that you are mentally prepared. Okay, then, and then you put aside and then step back and try to look for opportunity in crisis and innovate from this new norm. Let go of your knowledge and ego so you can create from these empty sheets. And another advice is... Um, to release the attachment to a particular outcome. During time of uncertainty, anything is possible. Just don't be too fixated that your plan should end up a certain way. Um, oftentimes, what robs us from happiness is not the quest for excellence, but the attachment for the outcome. And not being attached to a particular outcome doesn't mean you don't have an end goal. You still need to set your goals and have impactful metrics to measure, but just don't be attached to the to, to the outcome. When you release this attachment of outcome, you might end up going beyond it. It allows you to innovate outside of your box. It also removes self-limiting belief, if any. <clears throat> so uh, yeah, so to, to re remove this fixed um, mindset of the outcome that you are trying to drive and um, have you heard of this quote that says whatever you fail to achieve comes around in another form so uh, mm, yeah so the key takeaway is be driven from inspiration not desperation from love and not fear and choose choose to drive for excellence and not attach to a fixed outcome <clears throat> Cool. Thank you, Karen. Um, I, I didn't have any more questions. Um, it would be good if there isn't, if there's anything I didn't ask though, that you'd like to, to share, then, then please do. Otherwise it'd be great to, um, you know, learn where people can go and find out more about you, get in contact if possible. Yes. <clears throat> I just want to share this a uh, bit on educations. 
it is that I, I feel that um, in, in the system where I come from in, in some major city, the going to school, it's all about scoring exams and it, take, it robs us from the joy of learning. So I feel very strongly that education for early education, especially for primary school, we should really make learning fun. That should be the key. And when we make learning fun, the students will love learning and but when it's all about scoring exam and if you don't pass exam you can't go to the next basic education in secondary then it defeats the purpose you go to school to learn you know but yet when you make mistake and you fail it takes away the learning opportunity from you so that's not quite fitting in you know so i i think we should focus on making learning fun uh, and that's quite important I couldn't agree more. That's probably why my top subject at school was rugby. I think because that was, that was the most the most fun I had. I think was playing rugby. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. Excellent. <laughs> hey, look, it's been really nice to catch up. Um, yeah, where can I will leave uh, your your details in the notes? But do you want to just share where people like you've got a website and or Twitter or whatever you know other areas where people can come and yes, you can and learn more find- about it. You can find me on LinkedIn, Karen Talk, or um, KarenTalk.com, as in K-A-R-E-N-T-O-K.com. That's my website. Excellent. Well, look, yeah, it's been great to chat and have a lovely rest of the day in Singapore and and a lovely Christmas, which is not far away if if we do not speak before. (laughs) Merry Christmas to you and everybody. (laughs) Thanks, Karen. All the best. Thank you so much for having me. This is a podcast from Task. Task helps you create and measure impact. For more information, please visit task.io.